0: Well, this morning we come to the end of Josiah's life. And it ends perhaps a bit differently than we would have hoped. Perhaps very differently than we would have thought if we were the ones writing this story. This relatively young man who has spent his life dedicated to the work of the truth, living at breakneck pace in his commitment to do all that he could to save his people and then his life ends so abruptly. But the legacy that he left behind, brothers and sisters, and the impact that he had on his generation was more than enough from God's perspective. Because we have to remember that the stories in scripture are not actually about the characters themselves. As much as we've talked this week about the great work that Josiah did in trying to reform the nation, really this is a story all about God's work in the nation isn't it? And Josiah is merely a tool. Now, before we consider Josiah's decision at the end of his life to go out against Pharaoh Necho, there are a couple of things we have to keep in mind. Would you come with me just back to the King's account in 2 Kings 23? Because if there could be a more opposite epitaph to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. We could hardly find one more opposite than this. Second Kings 23, verse 25 of Josiah. Like unto him was there no king before him that turned to Yahweh with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, just like we saw yesterday, Neither after him arose there any like him. That reiterates what we've seen in our studies this week of Josiah's life, doesn't it? And it's an incredible statement to have made about you. Why? Because where does that expression in 2 Kings 23, verse 25 come from? You probably have it in your margin. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. In fact, Josiah is the only person in Scripture of whom this first and greatest commandment, as the Lord would refer to it as, is used, with all three of those things, all his heart, all his soul, and all his might. When Josiah read it in the law, he did it. He was a true doer of the word, we might say, and not a hearer only. Even David, a man after God's own heart, is not spoken of. In this way, just think, brothers and sisters, of what that word all means. It is a small but mighty word. Our flesh reads all and we want it to say most because we naturally want to keep back something for ourselves. But Josiah's spirit was to give it all. And remember, too, what we read at the beginning of the life of Josiah. You come back just a page, if you're in Second Kings 23, just turn back the page to Second Kings 22. Another expression that's used of no one else but him, that he turned not aside to the right hand or to the left at the end of Second Kings 22, verse 2. The reason that's so significant, brothers and sisters, because when Josiah read it in the law, he did it. Deuteronomy 28 defines for us what it looks like to turn to the right hand or to the left. And it defines it as going after other gods to serve them. And Josiah read that and he said, well, we're going to stamp it all out. So we can't go after other gods to serve them. And he spent so much of his kingship destroying other gods. There are some principles in scripture, brothers and sisters, aren't there? There are some principles that are plain and simple that we make harder for ourselves than they need to be. The law says don't go after other gods. So that's, that's exactly what Josiah followed. He destroyed the other gods that would distract him to the right or the left. And we take that principle. The flesh wants to say, I can have the other gods right here on the path with me. I'm not turning to the right or the left. I just brought them into my path to the kingdom. We deceive ourselves, don't we? We're not really giving God all our heart all our soul, all our mind, when we're giving part of them to something else that takes priority over him. But like Josiah, there will be other times when we're faced with difficult life choices and we're struggling to figure out what the right thing to do is, either because we can't find any great scriptural examples that apply to our situation and we've looked, or because we have found some but we're not sure how they apply. Or we found several that we're sure do apply and we're not sure which ones apply the most. Let's look at an example from the life of Josiah, but we need to set the scene. (laughs) Come back to 2 Chronicles 35 that we had read. We don't know exactly why Josiah went out to battle against Pharaoh Nebel. As the record doesn't explicitly say, but we can do a little bit of digging to get some ideas as to why he might have. For starters, we read in 2 Chronicles 35, verse 20, that after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, then Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. Now, other translations um, more correctly say that Necho came up to fight at Carchemish. This is, is more helpful and it is more textually correct, because remember, Carchemish isn't a person, it's a place. And he's not going to fight against Carchemish he's going to fight at Carchemish There are actually lots of examples in the King James where you find where it says that they were encamped over against something, and what it means is they've gone to that place, they're by that place, not they're gone to camp against the city as though they were gonna fight against the city. So. When we read it that way, it makes it a little bit more clear that he's at Kharkimish. Well, who is he fighting with? Well, I should have told you to keep a finger in 2 Kings 23. You needn't turn back there. I'll read it for you. You'll know, just have to trust me that I'm reading it correctly. 2 Kings 23, 29, the king's account says, in his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against, same Hebrew word. So if we read that as he went up at the king of Assyria or to the king of Assyria, as the Hebrew can mean either one. So he's gone up against or to the king of Assyria. So Nico has not gone against Assyria. He's gone to the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates. Well, how do we know this is the case? Perhaps we're just playing fast and loose with the Hebrew, of which very few of us are scholars. But actually, archaeology has uncovered this for us because Unger and several other Bible dictionaries have, have written this helpful summary in his dictionary. This one's from Unger in particular, but others corroborate the same thing. It says, Archaeology has facilitated a correct translation of the passage dealing with Josiah's death and revealed the reason for Pharaoh Nico's advance toward the Euphrates. The phrase, Pharaoh Nico went up to the king of Assyria has been wrongly translated, went up against. The Babylonian Chronicle published in 1923 has put the whole matter in a new light and shows that Pharaoh Nico did not advance against Assyria at all, but went to his aid. Because in 633, the Assyrian empire is declining rapidly. We know this corroborated from Nebuchadnezzar's image. In 612, Nineveh fell under attack by a coalition of Babylonians, Medes, and Scythians. A remnant of the Assyrian army fled west, picture in your mind, west to Haran, near Carchemish and made it a temporary capital. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh Necho, accordingly came to help the Assyrians, who stood at bay for several years at Carchemish under the combined attacks of the Medes and the Babylonians. So the Medes and the Babylonians are pounding on this weakened Assyrian empire. And Nico comes along and he goes to the aid of the Assyrians. And if this is the case, it kind of clarifies for us who is fighting who. Egypt has gone to help Assyria fight against Babylon. Egypt is not fighting against Assyria, they're fighting for Assyria, alongside of Assyria which means then that Josiah is trying to stop Egypt from getting there to help Assyria. Now, again, we can't be 100% sure why Josiah did this, because the record doesn't say. But here's what we'll suggest, brothers and sisters. It's because Josiah looked at the situation with the information he had at the time. And isn't that really all any of us can do in discipleship, is take the body of information that we have at the time and make a decision And he looked at it and said, well, if I can prevent Egypt from strengthening Assyria, then I am aligning myself with the will of God. Because that's Josiah's goal in life, is to make God's will his will. And what was God's plan? Well, Josiah knew that God had decreed that Babylon would be the next superpower and eventually invade Judah and take them captive. Remember from our first study, that was Josiah's prayer. was Our second study, actually, that was Josiah's prayer, was that when they go off into captivity, have mercy upon them and bring them back. And they're going to captivity in Babylon. I know this, Josiah says, not Assyria. So he's trying to stave off Egypt or Assyria from becoming stronger. And as a result, he's trying to prevent himself being, from being surrounded by this axis of evil in the north and the south. He knows what Assyria is like. They have a reputation, they're a brutal nation. They've already taken Israel captive. And he knows that God's decree was for Babylon to take Judah captive. How does he know that? Because his good friend Jeremiah has been saying that for years. But God had said nothing like that of Assyria. Assyria had taken Israel off to captivity and there was no mention of them coming back ever. We can't be entirely certain, brothers and sisters, but if we put ourselves in Josiah's shoes, can't you just imagine him looking at the situation that he's faced with and trying to figure out what to do? Isn't that what real life discipleship is? We're not guided by the Holy Spirit. We don't have the Urim and the Thummim that we can consult. So what are we left to do? We're left to look for principles in the word and make difficult decisions based on that. But to complicate things, we have the record of what Nico said to Josiah when he went out against him in 2nd Chronicles 35, verse 21, that brother Joe read. He sent ambassadors. It was Brother Joe who read it, right? I got the name wrong multiple times earlier this week. So just wanted to make sure. <laughs> Kept calling Brother Ethan, Brother Joshua. Verse 21: He sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. So Nico claims that God had commanded him to do what he's doing. And therefore, Josiah, get out of the way. But put yourself in Josiah's shoes. Did God actually command him to do that? I think we'd be asking the same question if we were in his place. Do I believe Nico's claim or not? And this is where it gets tricky because you're left to look for examples and principles to guide you. You're left to look at people from ages gone by and figure out, is there any direction I can take from what they experienced?
1: And in Josiah's case,
0: he probably came to the conclusion, well, why would I believe Nico's claim? that God spoke to him. He had so many examples from before him that told him to the contrary. When else in Judah's history did a faithful king go out into battle to fight against the enemies of Judah and disguise himself in battle because he was trying to save his nation? Isn't that exactly what Josiah has done? Isn't that exactly what Jehoshaphat did in 2 Chronicles 28? And God was with him Oh, yes, there were, there were things that Josiah or Jehoshaphat should have done differently. It was a bit foolish to think that by disguising yourself to look like the very king that your enemy is trying to defeat was a good idea. But, but the disguise part worked, <laughs> at least for a time. So Josiah reaches back to that and said, well, let's, let's take the wisdom we can from that and ignore the foolishness. I'm not dressing up as somebody, somebody that I'm not, or he is, but he's looking at Jehoshaphat's example and says... Let's take the good and, and maybe leave the mistake off that, Je- that Jehoshaphat made. Well when else in Judah's history, brothers and sisters had a Gentile king come against the land and claimed, "God is with me." God spoke to me and told me to do this so you should give yourself up and, and if you want concrete proof that God is with me and not with you, king of Judah, look what. Look what I've done to the other nations around you that your God has enabled me to do. That's 2 Kings 18, isn't it? That's exactly what Rabshakeh had said to Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah. We can be sure he would have remembered that story. And perhaps he thought, Nico, this is not the first time in my family history where a Gentile king has lied about God appearing to them. But do you remember that that somewhat obscure story that we looked at earlier this week in 1 Kings 13 when Josiah's birth was foretold? You remember, brothers and sisters, how after the altar was rent and the ashes poured out, Jeroboam says to Josiah, come back with me. Come back to my house. And what does Josiah say? He says, you could give me half your kingdom and I wouldn't come back with you. Why? Because God has said that I should not eat bread or drink water. I should not even go back the same way that I came to this place. And so he leaves, goes back by a different way. And then a man of, oh, a different man, an old prophet comes. Do you remember that story from Kings thirteen? An old prophet comes, and he tells him a lie. He says, God has appeared to me and said that you should come back with me. So Josiah says, well, this is, this is an old prophet. I best get back to Bethel where I've just been told I shouldn't stay. And he believes the lie of the old prophet and he goes back and what's the result? He dies. At the mouth of a lion, the symbol of Assyria. Ooh, isn't that interesting? brothers and sisters. I think Josiah remembered that story very well because it's when his birth was prophesied and he looks back at that and perhaps he thinks there is no way, there is no way I'm going to believe a lie like the man of God who came out of Judah did because look what happened to him and here I am faced with the mouth of the Assyrian lion spouting lies. I will not die at his hand. In fact, there was a consistent message that characterized so much of the words of the prophets who were contemporary with Josiah. You read through the books of Jeremiah and Zephaniah, and what is the message? Over and over and over again, it's about the fact that lies have overrun the nation. So much of Jeremiah's warnings to the people of his day were centered around this. No less than 35 times, Jeremiah warned against Lying words, lying words, lying words. The prophets who speak falsely, the prophets who prophesy lies. Zephaniah 3 prophesied about a day in the future when finally the remnant of the people would not speak lies anymore or have a deceitful tongue in their mouth. That's the environment, brothers and sisters, that Josiah grew up in. Lying words everywhere. So in Josiah's shoes with that as your upbringing, what would be your main takeaway? Don't trust in lying words from those who deal in falsehood, not from people like Rabshakeh, not from people like the old prophet from Bethel, and not from people like Necho. He had no reason to believe that this Gentile king spoke the truth. You can understand then, brothers and sisters, why Josiah would hear Nico's claim that God had spoken to him and press on despite that. It wasn't because he was obstinate. It was because he looked at biblical examples and scriptural teaching and concluded that he was doing the right thing. Now, did he come to the wrong conclusion? Perhaps. But Nico's claim from Josiah's perspective couldn't be trusted. He didn't have the scriptural narrative. He didn't have verse 21, for verse 22 rather, to know that the divine perspective was he shouldn't have gone out. So he made a decision based on scriptural reasoning and the information he had at the time. Now, we're not trying to to do all this to help us be gentle on Josiah, but perhaps, brothers and sisters, we do well to bear that in mind when, when looking at one another, and the decisions that one another are making. There are times, as we said at the beginning, where we make principles in Scripture more complicated and difficult than they need to be. But there are other times when when our brothers and sisters are just trying to work through difficult, knobby questions, and they're using the information they have at the time. Maybe they've come to the wrong conclusion because you need to pass on some piece of information that they didn't have But Josiah is doing the best he can with what he has. That's the difficult reality of life and the truth. The right way forward isn't always clear. Sometimes we have to look for scriptural examples. Sometimes we need someone else who can guide us. Yes, of course, Josiah should. There's no record of Josiah turning to God in prayer. That is glaringly absent from the record. But we know from experience, don't we, how especially difficult it is (laughs) as we live long enough to be able to look back on decisions that we tried to make in faith in the past and realize that sometimes it was the right decision and sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes our choices, even the ones we thought were right and for the right reasons at the time, have seemed to bring about what now appears to be a bad result. But we have to remember that even in those moments, brothers and sisters, God is greater than any of those mistakes. He can bring us out of even the worst circumstances the most terrible consequences. Because something else that is glaringly absent from this record is any condemnation of Josiah for this choice. There's not a hint of a word against him. We try to make the right decision and things seem to go wrong, when in reality, from God's perspective, they may not be going wrong at all. We might think, well, Josiah's decision cost him his life. You can't get much worse than that. He made a choice based on what he thought was the right thing to do, and he ended up dead. But that doesn't mean his death wasn't by the will of God. Because remember what Paul said back in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 25, that he would go to his grave in peace. But now in these circumstances, at war with Nico, dying on a battlefield, this hardly looks like peace brothers and sisters, in his death. But verse 20 of 2 Chronicles 35 that we read has this little phrase that all of this happened after Josiah had done everything he could to prepare the temple. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, and we looked a couple of days ago at how he had also prepared and repaired The priesthood and the Levites and the people and everyone is in this together. The house has been set in order, we might say. Josiah did die in peace. He had done all that he could. And God in his wisdom knew that. If we don't think this is peace, brothers and sisters, think about the horrors that are about to come upon his sons. At the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and the captivity that ensued. Think about the horrors within the city while it's under siege only 23 years later when Josiah would have been an aged man in his 60s. And think about what this passage in Isaiah 57 says. The righteous perishes and no man lays it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. Look at all the echoes to Josiah, this man of whom nothing evil ever is said in the record. The righteous. A man who is merciful. Second Chronicles 23 verse 26, that's the word used of Josiah. A man who was taken away from the evil to come, removed before the captivity ensued. A man who entered into peace, the same word that Huldah uses in chapter 34, verse 28. Yes, he died in battle, but Josiah entered into peace as God removes him from what was about to come upon the nation. We experience that too sometimes in our ecclesias, don't we, brothers and sisters? Sometimes it's the untimely death of someone in the ecclesia. And yes, we have a hope of resurrection, and we believe that. But like Josiah, like for Jeremiah, does it mean that there is no grief? Look at how Jeremiah and all the people responded. There's a great lament for him at his death. You don't always know or understand why God removes someone when he does. And maybe it's not a death of someone in your family or in your ecclesia. Maybe it's some other thing that happens that appears to be terrible, heart-wrenching, even God-forsaken, extremely challenging to our faith. It makes no sense and leaves so many questions. But in those moments, brothers and sisters, we have to remember that God sees the fabric so much more than we do. He sees the whole tapestry of our lives. He can see several steps down the road what might look to us like a headline that morning that said, Judah's king dies tragically in battle in reality might actually be the righteous is taken away from the evil to come and has entered into peace, resting in his grave. The setback we experience today, brothers and sisters, might be God's setup for victory and peace tomorrow. The current trouble that we face might be God laying the groundwork for greater things that he has in store for us. This doesn't give us all the answers when bad things happen in life, but it does give us the confidence and the reassurance in knowing that when we make decisions based on the right principles and we're trying to do what's right with all our heart, that God can steer the outcome if each step of the way we're walking by faith. And if it looks like all things are definitely not working together for good, then maybe it's because God is not finished working. He's teaching us his way, as the words of one of our hymns says, through the darkness and the shadows. He's helping to make the pathway plain before us. Well, we talked earlier this week about how Josiah seems to have a lot of echoes in his life back to David, that what David did, Josiah did. Now, we would be remiss to um, not sort of summarize those as the things that have come out as we've gone through our studies this week. So let's just turn for a few minutes to summarize those, because from the beginning and the prophecy of Josiah's birth, it was said that he would be born to the house of David in 1 Kings 13. And the focus of so much of the record is on his repairing and restoring the house that had been instrumental in David's focus near the end of his life. He took David's last words to Solomon, and he made them his life's mission. We looked at that in our second study. He walked in the ways of his father, David. He sought after the God of David, his father, the record says. He specifically followed David's exact words in not wanting the ark to be a burden on the shoulders of the priests. He prepared the Passover, sorry, he prepared the people to keep the Passover, according to the writing of David, is how it puts it in 2 Chronicles 35, verse 4. And he got the singers involved. Why? Because that was according to the commandment of David, 2 Chronicles 35, verse 15. But what's also beautiful, brothers and sisters, is that Josiah's life is actually an echo, not just to David's life, but to the lives of all of Judah's faithful kings. And we've actually talked about most of these already, but when you put them all together, you realize, wow, this this is a man who is trying to look at scriptural examples who have gone before him and imitate them as they imitate Christ, as it were. Solomon, We remember his prayer, and we looked at it earlier this week. If your people at this place turn back to thee, forgive them. Of Asa, we looked at this very briefly in one of our previous studies, that same idea of seeking God, and if you seek him, you will find him, or rather be found of him. Of Jehoshaphat, as we've mentioned this morning, he he looked back and said, well, I'm going to use the parts of what Jehoshaphat did that that makes sense and that seem wise to do in this circumstance because he was trying to save his nation just like I am. Of Joash in repairing the temple, he followed the exact same pattern, had the same faithful spirit in his men in which there was no reckoning for all the money that was spent. And of course, as we've said of Hezekiah and the Passover and inviting all of Israel and of ignoring the claims of what would otherwise be seen as a godless Gentile king who is claiming to have God on his side. This is the value. This is why we teach our young people to look at the examples who have gone before because these things were written for our example upon whom the ends of the world should come. That's part of the reason brothers and sisters that God puts us in a so that we can look at each other's example and follow it when it's appropriate to do so. One of the things we haven't talked really at all about this week is how much Josiah was a type of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not going to spend much time on this. I apologize, we're going to move through this quite quickly. But you can always take a picture of it, as Brother Kitson said earlier this week, or you can. we can give you the slides afterward. But it's remarkable when you consider that right from his very birth, Josiah is prophesied before birth by name, just like the Lord was. Originally, we had thought, well, maybe we'll do this as like a group activity, where I'll give you the... The passage for Christ, and you find it in the Record of Josiah, but besides the fact that that would probably take too long, it might also tax you a little bit too much on a Thursday morning, <laughs> um, right after breakfast. Both men have, de- or have or will destroy apostasy, just as it was prophesied that they would do. Of both, of course, they're called or referred to as the Son of David. Of both, they did not turn to the right hand or to the left. Both men sought God in their youth. Both condemned the idolatry and the hypocrisy of the generation that they lived in. Of both, they had a clear and distinct zeal for the house of God, and both men cleansed the house of God, not once, but twice. They both made intercessory prayer for their brethren. They both heard impending disaster or proclaimed the impending disaster that was coming on the nation. Both men are described as shining light into darkness, and both instituted a new covenant. It's remarkable, brothers and sisters, to consider how striking the pattern is between these two men. And that's just page one, because both men kept the Passover, didn't they? Both men prepared the house, both provided a Passover lamb, both kept the feast of unleavened bread. Both sought those who were lost in the house of Israel. Both manifested God's character because of Josiah. It was said that he had that kindness, that kesed of Yahweh. In 2 Chronicles 35, of both men, there is a national mourning made for them, which we'll look at in just a moment. Both judged the cause of the poor and needy, and of both, there was none like to them because they served with all their heart, all their soul, and all their might. The legacy Josiah left is quite remarkable. No type of Christ is perfect, as we know, but this is a king of whom nothing bad is recorded that he did, a man who turned not to the right hand or to the left, why? Because he had made one final turn in life, straight on to the kingdom. He turned to Yahweh with all his heart, all his soul, all his might. It's a beautiful, beautiful marriage when you put those two passages together. He turned to Yahweh in one passage and in another. He turned not to the right hand or to the left because it was straight on to the kingdom. This is a king who was mourned so deeply by his people that Zechariah 12 tells us just how deep that was. If we come to Zechariah, just for a moment. We saw this in our readings a couple of days ago. Zechariah 12, verse 10. It's talking about the people mourning for Christ when he comes again. And of all the things it could compare it to in Scripture, it says, it will be like the morning at hated rimen in the Valley of Megiddo, where Josiah died. That is a remarkable statement to make about. Him. The mourning of the Jews when they realized their fathers had, what their fathers had done to Christ is compared to the great mourning for Josiah at his death. Why? Well, it could be lots of reasons, brothers and sisters, but this is it for the nation. Judah has seen its last faithful king on the throne. Josiah has died, and the judgment that Huldah spoke of was on its way, marching towards the people with unstoppable force. They now had nothing to rely on except their own personal conviction. Josiah got them headed in the right direction. He gave them the tools that they needed and the knowledge, but at the end of the day, it comes down to an individual choice that the people made. What did the people do after Josiah's example was no longer in front of them? Well, eventually many of them turned to the right hand or to the left, didn't they? That's the choice we have before us, brothers and sisters. Was Josiah's end a failure? Did his reign end on a sour note? It's impossible to capture in one slide what the legacy of this great King of Judah was, what the lasting impacts were of all of his efforts, but we're gonna try. Because Josiah's life and his death inspired generations after him to remain faithful to Yahweh in Babylon and beyond. Just look at all the people and the families who were positively impacted by Josiah's reforms either directly or indirectly. Prophets like Jeremiah and Zephaniah, Zechariah, Haggai, Ezekiel, Daniel, and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Gentile kings like Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, and Cyrus. Those who came after Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel and Jeshua and their brethren, Esther and Mordecai, Baruch, Gedaliah, ebed Melech, the family of the Rechabites, the Nethanim, the Magi at Christ's birth. Faith did not die with the end of the monarchy, and that's because Josiah had revived it in the nation. He had hoped that he could push the nation in the right direction and convict enough people to do the right thing and go off to Babylon, as God had instructed. Listen to the words of Yahweh. Listen to the message of Jeremiah, because what you hear and what you read in the law, do it. And God will bring you back. And Ezra says that 42,360 people returned and rebuilt the nation. Josiah's work was not a failure. Was Christ's work ineffective, brothers and sisters, just because at the end of 33 years he died by a criminal's death? Just Just because by all visible accounts, it was a wasted effort. Was his death premature? Not at all. His first Advent work was complete and his death was exactly as God ordained because God's plan of salvation is so much greater than we can so often see in our mortal lives. So we'll wrap up with our takeaway points from this study. We can't turn with most, brothers and sisters. We can't turn with the majority all it's a small and mighty word christ says we cannot serve two masters try as we might it's it's not possible we turn with all our hearts so that we don't turn to the right hand or to the left we have to search the scriptures why because that's what we need to resort to in the difficult decisions that's what we need to have at, at the front of our minds when when the young people when the children come to us and say why? What do I do? How do I go forward? We have to be able to, to call on the scriptures for that wisdom. And even in the times, brothers and sisters, where we look around and say, I don't know the why, we have to continue to trust that God sees the greater fabric to go forward, as Brother Kitson said. Because we may never know the effects of our efforts to save other people, but we can be sure that if we have any hope of impacting them, it starts with a personal conviction. It starts with our own commitment to making God's will our will before we can inspire others to do the same. Let's grab on to that spirit of commitment, brothers and sisters, this this man who was a shadow of his Lord to come and make that spirit of commitment our own, committed to the word that what we hear will do, what we read will act on. Committed to doing what's right, regardless of what's happening around us in our circumstances, regardless of what our lineage and our heritage might be, because our heart is turned to God and away from all else committed to saving one another, each brother and sister in the ecclesia that we all go back to later this week, because no matter what the result of our efforts in the truth might appear to be at present, one thing is sure, brothers and sisters, your labor is not and is never in vain when it's in the Lord.